purposes. And if we're going to be wise evangelistically, we must take time to relate to people on their level. Amen. Welcome to Generations Church. Uh, Today is kind of a benchmark day. Next Sunday starts a new era in our church. When you come to service, uh, our greeters will greet you, ushers will greet you, as always. And if you have children, we ask that you take them to children's ministry to sign them up before the service begins. So get here a few minutes early if you can. And and then we're going to have church in here, and we're just going to go for it and have church. And they're going to have church up there without this. This interrupts them and interrupts us, doesn't it? So without this interruption, they're going to have praise and worship on their level and hear the word a good word from God on their level. The children's ministry at this church, the the best preachers in the house serve in children's ministry. They're really powerful, great people. Um, so that will happen. And also, if you can look back there on the back wall, you see two boxes. Uh, we're also going to save time in the service, the, the wall of this room. Uh, we're also going to uh, just have church and not interrupt the service to take up an offering. If you love the Lord, you're going to give, amen? Not because a basket is in front of you that makes you feel guilty. (laughs) The boxes are back there to make you feel guilty. With cameras, if you don't tie, they'll take your picture. (laughs) It's a joke. Anyway, so next Sunday we'll transition to using the boxes. So you can give when you come in, give when you leave, give in the middle, give as the Lord prompts you. And if we ever pass the plate, we'll be for a special guest speaker or a special emphasis or something. So rather than having two offerings, we would just have one offering that Sunday, plus always the offering boxes. So praise the Lord. Have you found 1 Corinthians 9 yet? Let me find it myself. Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, chapter 9, verse 19 through 22. He's talking about evangelism. He said, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, because he was one, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, he was a lawyer, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law. He was a Roman citizen. He used everything he could about himself to relate to people at their level. Not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. Let us pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We ask that your word would go forth with free course today. In Jesus' name, amen. For the past few years, I've become concerned that many American evangelicals, of which I am glad to be a part, are becoming less evangelical while becoming more angry. I know it is upsetting to watch the powers that be as they try to erode our Christian history Christian values and our influence on society. Also, I know we should do whatever we can at the polls and in the marketplace, 
even in politics, to remedy our nation's situation. However, whatever we do should never be at the expense of forgetting to obey the great commission of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I say amen? amen? Through the media and over the airwaves, we often hear angry Christian preachers ranting and raving while pointing their fingers at us, saying that the moral decline in our nation is our fault because we have not become angry enough to do something about it. If you have been upset by this or swayed by such, please allow me to use this talk this morning as equal time to make an effort to communicate what I believe is perhaps more of the truth on this matter than what they are saying. So here goes. If we are a majority rule nation, that is, the party or person who gets the most votes wins, then it does stand to reason that the answer to our democratic slash republican dilemma is in the scene, is in seeing the majority of our citizens become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Do the math. More Christians will produce more Christians voting. This is not a hard concept, nor is it a new one. All right? In spite of what modern evangelicals want us to believe, it is obvious that the majority of American citizens are not true disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care what they tell the poll takers on the telephone. Look at the fruit. You'll know them by their fruit. So the majority of our fellow citizens are not disciples of Jesus. They may have repeated after someone and prayed a prayer and believe, even maybe signed a card, but look at the fruit. They've not become disciples. I know this is hard to swallow, but those who do not realize this fact risk living in denial and perpetual frustration. The sooner we see this fact, the sooner we can change our ways. Maybe some of our evangelical anger is due in part to our being disillusioned by those misleading polls and perhaps that overconfident political effort once called the moral majority. I suggest that if the moral decline in America and in her policies are the fault of local churches, it is not because we aren't angry enough, but simply because we are not evangelistic enough. By our not being evangelistic enough, I'm not talking about needing to do more outreach of efforts that produce little fruit, like angry confrontations with strangers or high-pressure sales pitches or... Oh, well, you just you can fill in the blank. All right. We must unite, however, and discover who is being most effective in evangelism while humbling ourselves enough to learn from them and being willing enough to change any and all unbiblical traditions that are in the way of true New Testament evangelism, which also must include discipleship. I'm not talking about looking towards that church or ministry that has the most notches on their gun, but those that are making disciples. Amen? May God help us to repent and change our ways. Speaking of polls, some are saying that 71% of today's true converts had a relationship with a caring Christian friend, which was the single most important factor in their conversion, outside the role, of course, of our sovereign saving God. They go on to say that 86% of today's converts come to saving faith over a process of time. If this is true, then we have work 
to do. Are you up to the challenge with God's help? Amen. No more wallowing or whining and finger pointing at one another. Let's get started today and do something about America ourselves by forming genuine friendships with some unbelievers. Are you up to the challenge? I know that Bubble Creek video was funny, but it actually struck a chord in my heart because many times we want heaven now. We just don't want to go now. So we try to create it here on this earth by keeping those pesky unbelievers outside of our circle of friends. All right, moving on. I'd like to speak to you today about evangelistic identification. Can we say that? It's not a heavy term. It's easy. But let's look again at what Paul said, which basically he identifies with all people. I am free from all men. I've made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jew, I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law. Ending with the statement, I've become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Does that mean to see an alcoholic get saved, you need to become an alcoholic? No, you just need to identify with where he's at. Maybe even identify with why he is vulnerable to that kind of addiction. Does that mean to witness to a homosexual you have to become gay? No. That would kill your witness. But identify with where he or she is at. Maybe come to an understanding as to why they would become vulnerable to such an addiction. And that's what it is. All right. Become all things to all men. Get on their level without sinning. This is what Jesus Christ did for us. There are word associations that we could make with the concept of evangelism. For some people, evangelism is like a secret mission where we go into a phone booth and put on a shirt with a big red S and charge out in the neighborhood to win souls for Christ. For others, it's a kind of an ambush where we lure the honest, unsuspecting victim to some kind of event, lock the doors, and sing 22 verses of Just As I Am. Some people think of evangelism as a bombing mission where from protective cloud cover at 30,000 feet, we fill backyards with gospel bombs. For others, evangelism is herding fish into the stained glass aquarium where the big fisherman throws the lure from the pulpit. This video is what evangelism is not. This guy is not identifying with people's issues. He's not on their level. He's on a rooftop. Hey, you! Yeah, you, you're going to hell. Hey, buddy, I might see you at church later today. No? All right, well, then, then enjoy hell, I guess. Yeah, I get up every morning pretty early and uh, come up here and share the good news. From my rooftop. Hey, Baldy. No, Baldy Locks. Jesus loves you, babe. I, I think the rooftop is a perfect place to win souls for Christ. Um, you know, when you're up here, it's easy to look down on people and see all their shameful ways and to yell at them to change those ways. And they listen because I'm a voice from above and they respect that. Guys, have you heard of Jesus Christ? He's your personal Lord. No, He is your personal Lord and Savior. I, have you asked Him into your heart? 
Do you, do you want to chat? I have a Bible up here. I'll throw one at you. I, I haven't saved anyone or led anyone to Christ personally, but I am pretty sure that I've saved thousands. Excuse me, sir. Put those cigarettes down. Those are bad for you. Your body is a temple that Christ gave you as a gift in order for you to live this life and find out that salvation is here for you. If you just accept them into your heart. Go down there. Why would I go down there? It's filthy down there. It's full of sinners. No. Uh, my place is up here. I belong up here doing God's work. Would you like me to pray over you? Where are you going? Come. All right. Good luck in hell. <laughs> Evangelistic identification. The word identify means to recognize someone or something and be able to say who or what he or she is. It also means to consider two or more things as being the same. You can identify a ball as a ball because it's the shape of a ball. Uh, synonyms for the word identify means to recognize, to name, to categorize, to ascertain, to distinguish, to associate, to equate, to connect, to relate, to link. So when someone identifies you, they know who you are. But when someone identifies with you, they're trying to understand who you are. So it's a level of knowledge beyond just knowing facts, but it's, it's a relational thing. You see that? Uh, the word identification is an act of identifying someone, naming or recognizing someone or something. Um, it is also, identification is also a feeling of affinity or empathy with another person or group. Uh, the word identification has synonyms like relationship, bond, association, Connection, affinity, empathy. This is what Jesus did for us and what Paul was into doing for evangelism. He tried to identify with everyone so that he could win some for Christ. People do not care about how much we know until they know how much we care. You may have more degrees than Fahrenheit, but that's not impressive if the person doesn't feel cared for by you. So this means it takes time. The patting ourselves on the back because we rushed half a dozen people through on a weekend to pray a prayer after us and then to never relate to that person again, I don't know that that's the answer. It's not going to change and transform a nation. Many people will not hear us until they know we are hearing them. Tsunami relief agencies working in the same village in Indonesia have experienced varying degrees of acceptance. One relief agency offered financial assistance, also provided blueprints for fishing boats and blueprints for fishing uh, uh, for, for boat barns. Boathouses. So here's finances for resources and here's blueprints for boats and blueprints for boathouses. And they made them available. But they didn't get much response. 
Another relief agency admitted to the fishermen they didn't know that much about boat building and asked the fishermen for help. Guess who got the bigger response? In one response, fishermen said, thank you for the trust you've put in us. Those other guys think they know it all, but they don't understand that you have to build a boathouse bigger than the boat. The plans they gave us is for a 10-meter shed while the boat plans were for a 13-meter boat. And when it rains here, it rains for days, and the boats will sink. Thank you for listening to us. When we talk about Christ, obviously we have the better message. It has eternal ramifications. But if a person feels like you're not listening but just waiting for your chance to talk so you can take them another step in your sales pitch, they're going to do whatever they can to get away from you. If it means repeating a phrase after you, chanting a prayer, they'll do it. Just get me away from this moron. That's their attitude. It's the truth. Let's face it and become effective and wise in evangelism. This is what Jesus did when he came to earth and became one of us. Hebrews 2, 17 and 18 says, In all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make payment for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. The Message Bible says he had to, he had to enter into every detail of human life. Then when he came before God as high priest to get rid of people's sins, he would have already experienced it all himself, all the pain, all the testing, and would be able to help where help was needed. So Christ identifies with us when we come to him with our struggles. Lord, I've been betrayed. You know, the pain of betrayal is a great thing. He understands how it feels and knows what we need to endure and to overcome. Does he identify with us? He descended without being condescended. He came down so that we could come up. He wasn't shouting from a rooftop, Repent! He came down and spoke at our level. He cared enough to understand and has helped him to understand enough how to care. Caring enough to understand helped Jesus to understand enough how to care. Now as God, he has all knowledge, does he not? But he knows the feelings of our infirmities, not on the basis of his superior omniscient intelligence. He knows by experience. He became one of us. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. This gives us hope because he knows. And yet he never sinned. This is, this is the passage we read in Hebrews 2. Hebrews 4 says that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The contemporary English version says that Jesus understands every weakness of ours because he was tempted in every way that we are, but he did not sin. So he is the ultimate identification evangelist. 
Paul wrote this in Philippians about Jesus, wrote writing it to us. He says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. In his identification, Watchman Nee said, as God, he humbled himself and became man. As man, he humbled himself by coming here as a baby. As man, he humbled himself by being falsely accused and dying. In dying, he humbled himself by being tortured as a criminal. He just kept descending, descending. He came down. The Imperials used to sing a song. He came down to my level when I couldn't get up to his. Amen. He came down to us so we could come up to him. He, came, he became naked with us so that we could be clothed. He became poor with us so that we could be rich. He died for us so that we could live. He became sin without sinning so that we could become righteous in spite of our sin. He identified with our need, made him a wonderful Savior. We are to follow that example. We're to identify with the needs of others. That's what we're talking about this morning. Living this way makes churches very healthy and enhances our witness. A healthy church is, a, is made up of people that care about one another. That understand why Billy Bob is so annoying and loves him anyway. If your name's Billy Bob, I'm sorry. It's just I need to come up with another another name to use. But we, if we identify with one another's needs, we'll do what we can to minister and encourage each other and to understand and care, to listen to one another. We identify with Jesus Christ. He became one of us so that we could become one with him. One of us, we become one with him. I keep the prepositions right. Um, and he gives us a new identity. We identify with one another. And we identify with unbelievers. Let nothing be done with selfish ambition, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. As important as this is, we must stay real and be ourselves without watering down the gospel. In identifying with our need, Jesus became one of us without becoming like us, without sinning. Amen? Here's a guy that's going a little bit too far in trying to minister on the level of the culture. Hey, do you know the facts of life? Jesus is mad about you and wants to be friends. So accept God's will and grace and get saved by the bell before you end up in the ER.
you ever feel lost? Like the days of our lives are wasted in the office or in your full house? Then say to God, rescue me. And you will be touched by an angel and experience big love 24 hours a day. I preach the gospel using TV shows so people will listen. It's tough to be a family guy in the real world. What with all the desperate housewives and rugrats and family feuds. It's time for a little home improvement. God can help fix your little house on the prairie. Just follow his eight simple rules step by step and keep it all in the family. Talking about TV is a great attention getter because everyone watches it so everybody knows what I'm talking about. Do you think if I was naming off Bible characters that anybody would know what I was saying? Even Christians spend more time watching TV than they do reading their Bibles. So imagine how much TV non-Christians must watch. Even though we're perfect strangers, I know that God wants to bring law and order to your life and give your soul an extreme makeover so you can have happy days and wonder years. We've only got one life to live, so don't spin the wheel of fortune and put your soul in jeopardy. Let Jesus be your guiding light and stop worshiping American idols. I think this is one of the best ways to witness to people because TV is one of the few things that complete strangers have in common. Also, it gives me reason to stay home and watch TV all day. I'm doing research. When you're six feet under, do you know if you'll be in seventh heaven or in hell's kitchen? Just because you're America's next top model citizen, it doesn't mean that you'll be dancing with the stars. <laughs> I'm preaching to myself this morning. Name five unbelievers with whom, with whom you have a friendship. And if you can't name five, I encourage you to work on that. And if you know five unbelievers with whom you have a friendship, work on identifying with them, listening to them, so they'll listen to you. Amen? Who'll do that? Let's pray. Lord, I pray for each of us that you would lead us to the five, that you would open our eyes to the five so that these five would come alive with revelations of you, Lord, that they would receive from you, your Holy Spirit, and from our lives and those other believers that they know. In Jesus' name, Lord, make us effective evangelistic people who know how to identify with others in Jesus name. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. And I, I pray Lord for those who we know who once followed you. I pray Lord, you make us effective in ministering to them as well in Jesus name. Amen. Greg, could you get that microphone ready? The handheld. This Wednesday night is the introductory supper for the Alpha Course. The Alpha Course is a 15-session uh, series of teachings on video that always begins with a dinner. The dinner's not on video. The dinner will be in this room. <laughs> I encourage you to invite the unchurched people you know. If they have a church home, then okay, hallelujah. We're glad for them. 
But those that don't have a church home, invite them to come to this introductory supper. And at that event, we're going to invite them to come for 14 more times. <laughs> so just work on this first time. It's an amazing uh, setup. It comes out of England. There's 7,000 churches doing it in, in the U.K. And I don't know if you understand this, but the United Kingdom needs a spiritual awakening. And it is happening through the Alpha Course, which isn't just creating notches on an evangelist gun, but it's making disciples. Uh, and it also equips believers. Hearing these teachings will help us understand how to communicate more effectively. Uh, the British have a way of respecting people's dignity. And I think as Christians, we understand that man has fallen, but we often forget man is created in the image of God and worthy of some respect when conversing with them. So it'll be good for us. We'll learn how to be more effective as well as how to get to know those unbelievers and unchurched people that our friends bring so that we can help be friend them as well. And so I encourage you to be a part of this. This is good. Uh, present in the service today is Susan Sledge, who did several of these in her home. And every week she was the one who prepared the food. And she can testify to you that this thing works. Susan, come on up. I'm so excited to have a testimony of participating in an Alpha course. A friend invited us, my husband and I, and afterwards we thought it was real nice and good, and that was going to be it, but the Lord always has a, a plan in store, and so some names started popping up, and, and they just kept coming up over and over, and so my husband said, okay, let's pray about it, let's see who we should invite. It took about 30 seconds, and some of you, when the five names were on the screen, I know some pictures appeared in your head or names popped in, and you just had an impression of some people. And um, in our case, in our first class, it was um, a very eclectic group of people. Um, some of them were our high school friends. We had just moved back. We're from Granbury, and we had just moved back from Houston. And um, we, were, we saw most of our friends still here. And unfortunately, a lot of them were um, drug addicted severely and um, probably the biggest cookers in the county. And so as we saw some people, we, you know, we'd walk away and say, man, that's terrible, that's a shame. But that's all we did. You know, it was too uncomfortable to say something. You know, we hadn't really talked in 20 years, but, you know, we're going to, you know, come on their sin right then, you know, in Walmart. It never was an appropriate time. But yet these were the same people that we're, that we're feeling pressured on to invite. So um, I'm glad that God only lights just your path, because if we'd have seen further, I don't think we would have done it. But um, we called people and went out and saw them and said, hey, come to our house. We're going to um, present some Christian material, and we're going to debate it. We're not saying you have to believe it. We're not saying, um, you know, we're just, you're gonna, we're going to be a hard sell, but we want you to come for dinner. We want to show some information and see what you think about it. And that's all you have to do. Your, your job's over with at that point. And from then on, you just have to love them because the Holy Spirit does all the rest. I mean, it's, it's absolutely incredible, amazing that they even come to the first one. I mean, but they do. I mean, you're not, you're not doing it. You've spoken the words, but the Holy Spirit goes out there, and they can't get it off their mind now. And so they, they showed up at our, our door, and um, the Alpha Program wants you to provide a meal as part of hospitality and to show people um, kindness and love and that you've prepared for them 
and that you want them in your in your presence and in your home because a lot of times shame makes you believe that you're not worthy to be around anybody that that you shouldn't be around those good people and so you got to get that wall knocked down first of all and so when you've prepared something for them and you're excited that they're there and you don't you just talk about just knowing each other or getting to know each other and then you show the video and then afterwards uh, you talk about it and you break up into small groups. For us, it was a small group anyways. And um, there are some questions that you can ask that are topic starters, but we never needed them. Um, they just happen. And the more antagonistic the people are that are in your group, the better your course will be. My group, they came stoned the first time. Most everybody was stoned, glassy-eyed, didn't know where they were. Um, and then I also had church-going people because that was the list. My list was... My drug addict friends, my church-going friends. Well, why would they be in my? Why would they be in the group? You know, and then um, just middle-of-the-road folks. And I'm just thinking, this is an old and young. And I'm thinking, how is this ever going to work out? But man, God knows exactly what He's doing. They all needed each other. That group needed each other. My Christian friends needed to. They needed it more. You know, and it was just incredible how God works it out. And, you know, Alpha is bite-sized information. He He's going to feed it to them in bite sizes where they can take it and digest it for a whole week before coming back again. And it's little, little bits. And, you know, like the first one is, um, you know, is the Bible true, untrue, or irrelevant? You know, because if you're going to use Scripture to change somebody's mind, and they think the Bible is a bunch of bunk, then you're wasting your time opening that book and showing, see, see right here, see what it says? <laughs> I mean, it's pointless. So you gotta, you got to go through these little steps. And um, when your group comes together and they talk, you show that first video, and the people usually say, I think it's just a historical document. Or somebody says, you know, I believe in the New Testament, but I don't believe in the Old Testament. Um, you hear, I don't believe in any of it, and I'm, I'm tired of people trying to, cram it down my throat and these are the things and then you'll have the other one says i believe every word of it every word is given by god it's a living breathing document and then the other one turns to him and says you're the kind of people i don't like being around you know and that's the dynamic of the that's what happens because if you get these things from in here out into the light the holy spirit starts to deal with it so if you get out what they're really thinking because most of the time they don't tell you what they're really thinking but in a group setting that something starts to happen and the Holy Spirit starts to draw this out and there's a sharing and then there's a trust. And as leaders, the most important thing is you don't put place any judgment on what they say at all. And that was the hardest for me because boldness isn't my issue. Um, and and so you, you just simply say, my favorite thing that I told Alan was, I've never heard it put quite like that. You know, I haven't, I haven't thought of it like that before. You know, you just, you let them say it because the Holy Spirit's going to do all the work. They leave, they go home for the week, and they come back again. And you know what you hear? You hear them say, you know, you said that the Bible was a living, breathing document. And I was thinking about that all week long. I don't even know how that could be. Why would somebody say living, breathing document? And somebody else would say, well, I... My mom, when I was growing up, used to say living, breathing, and she used to read it every day, and she used to get something out of it. And it just, something starts to happen. And that that fundamental in week one and about week four becomes a reality to them. 
And then week two stuff starts to add to it in week five. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit starts to bring it all together. And, and oh, and you don't, we didn't ever tell them there was 15 weeks, ever, <laughs> ever. We just invited them to one night. And if they want to come back next week, we'll be here. I mean, that's all, that's all it is. And no pressure, you know, just come back next week. We'll be here same time, same channel. And they came. And, you know, when you get to about week eight, nine, ten, there's just some amazing things that God does. And you see people changing, and then they, I mean, we, we, in the end, I mean, I never would have imagined, but these people from these classes are now having their own alpha groups in their houses. They are in churches all over Granbury. Um, I mean, I'm so happy, you know, to say that these, these people were miraculously delivered from drugs. The, our first group, all but one of them. And there's one person that we still pray for, you know. And when we see each other, we're like, have you heard from him? Or has anybody heard from him? And he calls in. I mean, he keeps in touch. So there's a holy curiosity there that the Lord put on him way back there that's not going to go away. But he knows he can still call us. So um, that's pretty much our Alpha experience. And you just got to get ready because if you invite the most unlikely people, the meanest, most antagonistic, most, you're going to have so much fun. You are going to love it because that's the ones that, that absolutely will get it out on the table and into the light, and then everybody else's junk gets dealt with. So there you go. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I just found out last week that there's actually a manual I'm supposed to have read before <laughs> taking us this far, so I ask for your mercy. We're going to learn some stuff. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that you would speak to every heart in this church as to their part for the Alpha Course. If it's to just be prayer covering, God, just use them mightily as prayer warriors to pray for this. Oh, Lord, we ask that you'd send this church the people nobody wants. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. In Indianapolis was a pastor. He's passed away recently, but he um, was walking down the road with some pastor friends from the city. And this simple-minded person waved at him and called his name. How you doing, Brother Irfan? Hey, what's going on? And these other pastors tease him and said, oh, she goes to your church. <laughs> he said, yeah, she wasn't welcome at yours. Mm, hallelujah. Amen. Yeah. What you got, babe? I wrote this down a few years ago, and I'm really excited to see that we're going to be doing Alpha now. This is in the front of my Bible, and I want you to just, if this bears witness with what I'm about to read, just say yes, yes in your heart. As a community of believers, we have decided to make it really hard for people to want to go to hell. They're really going to have to want to go to hell before we let go of their hearts and before we stop praying for our community, the nation, and the world. Amen. I just want to leave you with this. The people that you invite to, to Alpha, God's already started dealing with their hearts. You're going to find it easier than you realize, and it's their time. It's our time, and it's their time. And this isn't a, a God-ordained time. Thank you.
Amen. Let's stand. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And may divine appointments happen everywhere this week for you especially. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. If I could ask God one question, it would be, who created you? What about other religions? Why do you allow suffering? If I could ask God one question, it would be, what am I doing here? Why did you make me the way that I am? Do I have a purpose in life? If I could ask God one question, it would be, what do I do next? If I could ask God one question, it would be, but how can I know that you really exist? How do people say that it's only Christianity? Is everyone else wasting their time? What about other people with genuine faith? What really happens when you die? If I could ask God one question, it would be, can you hear me? If I could ask God one question, it would be, can you give me a sign? Why don't you save everyone? How can I forgive? Why did my mum die? How do you expect us to believe in something that we can't even see? If I could ask God one question, it would be, do you really love me? If I could ask God one question, it would be, what about dinosaurs? What's the soul? Why did you make the Bible so hard to understand? Why does it always feel like my life has something missing? And if you have all the answers, then why do we have so many questions?